What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nuclear Barbarians. It is I, your nuclear barbarian, Emmett Penny. And today I'm hanging out in the cut, hanging in the lab with Tyson Culver. And we are going to talk about his new documentary with Robert Bryce, Juice, Power, Politics, and the Grid, which by the time you are hearing this has come out for a couple days. It's on YouTube. Go see it now. I'm in it. We're gonna, I'm going to try not to talk about me. Uh, the whole time, because every time I see myself on camera or listen to myself in a podcast, it's a weird feeling, but there's a lot else to talk about. Thank God, because it's a great documentary and we're going to get into it. How's it going, Tyson? It's going really well. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show today. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking about what we produced and uh, how we how we got to where we got and, you know, all things up to the release. Yeah. I mean, so I watched the whole thing last week as soon as you guys sent it out and i mean there are several stories in there that could be their own documentary i mean you and i were talking about that before we even started recording um so it's very rich it's amazing how much you guys get to so clearly i think it'll really give people who've never really thought about the grid a good handle on what's going on with it but before we get into juice 2 grid time boogaloo um let's talk about you so i know you through robert everybody who listens to this probably knows who robert is robert bryce um how did you guys link up how did you start working together just tell me a little about you your background and how you got here sure um so robert and i've known each other i guess we're going on 15 years now um uh, my background my wife and I own a video production company in Austin, Texas. Um, we have three buckets of work that we do. Um, uh, one bucket is branded content, which is, you know, the stuff you typically see on the internet, right? You know, so it's ads for companies like uh, Sonic and uh, um, Whole Foods and Home Depot and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's a third of our business. Um, we also do progressive um, uh, political work. So um, mm-hmm. lots of work for Democrats, lots of work for uh, nonprofits. Um, and then, uh, the last bucket are documentary films. And so that was Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. Now this one, we've also done some independent film work. So, um, the way I came to know Robert was I was working at a crisis communications firm for, I don't know, I was there for like a year and I knew that I was leaving, um, because it was originally, uh, more of a bipartisan outfit and it was sh- uh, shifting a little more conservative and my views shift a little more left. And so um, I, I wanted to leave. Robert was like one of the last people that I, I met before I did so. And I was just rebuilding his website. He needed to get a new web presence and he was kind of like starting to take off, you know, and he'd done, he'd, he'd been doing the speaking tour for a while, but he was, he was the one client I took with me. Um, and we you know, we became friends and, you know, I helped him rebuild a site. I provided some, you know, digital strategy stuff on it. And it's interesting for the longest time. And you can go back and you can look at a couple of his uh, past books. You'll, you'll see him reference me as like his web guy. And I am not a web guy. Like I am at all, you know, I went to film school. It was like the web part was like, Hey, I was starting a new company. And that was this, when you start a new company, you do everything. And so yeah. that was one of the things I was doing. And so, so we have this relationship, you know, I help him kind of build up his site. Speaking business starts doing really, really well. We went to, went to I think it was lunch at uh, Maria's Taco Express. He told me he wanted to do, he had an idea for a book. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a book. I'm going to do, I want to do a book called Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. Tyson, did you know? And he just, you know, went into his prices, you know, the, you know, the power elevator. For, yeah. Yes. Uh, the power density for a uh, data center is comparable to that of a legal weed dispensary in Colorado. But, you know, do you know what happens to women and girls when they have electricity versus when they don't? You know, there are a billion people in the world without access to electricity and two billion more use less electricity uh, a year than a typical American refrigerator. And so he's going through this thing and I'm like, oh, this sounds really freaking cool. Um, but he wasn't talking to me about doing the film. He was talking to me about, he, hey, I'm going to do this book. I think it would make a really good doc. And he, Robert knows other documentary maker, uh, filmmakers here at Austin. I was like, well, if, if you're going to do this, may, let, me, let me tease a concept for you. Mm-hmm. And so I put together a sizzle reel for him on what I thought his movie could look like. And I just did like a three-minute thing. And it clicked. 
And we just went and um, started working on it. And it was funny too. I just wrapped up a, a lone survivor thing that I did for Spike and Comedy Central. So I was doing like promos for that. And like he's like, I didn't know you did this kind of work because that wasn't the nature of our relationship. Our relationship was how can I help Robert's speaking business, not, mm-hmm. you know, can I make a commercial for him or anything. Right. And then it went from there. And our first, you know, we went to South by Southwest and did like, like a couple little things. And then our first major trip was we went to India and then. All bets were off. We figured out that we worked really well together and we don't agree on everything. And I think that's really, really valuable in a work relationship because mm-hmm. I respect him and he respects me and our opinions team, you know, we find our common ground and, and then we put that out there and hopefully other folks can, 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 you know, be somewhat enlightened by what we have to share. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit of friction goes a long way to having a clearer project that more people can consume. Right. I For sure. That's, that's really, really important. So people haven't seen it, by the way, go out. I would actually recommend doing like a double feature of Juice, How Electricity Explains the World, and then Juice, Grid, Power, or Power Politics and the Grid, because I think that the first one does a really great job of just getting people energy literate, yeah. right? Like you understand what the stakes are for not having access to cheap energy. I think the scenes from India in that really help communicate that. Um, there are some very, so I would describe them as sobering, right? Um, yeah. Where, I, where Robert's talking to that woman and he was like, do you think if you had had electricity in your house, you would have been able to go to college? And she said, yep. Just unequivocally. Yeah. I mean, I, I get used to, I'm thinking about when that one, I remember, I remember shooting it and like mm-hmm. both, like we kind of shared a look while it was going, it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the film is yet, but this is in it, and, yeah. and it's and people are going to feel it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, as you said, a little bit of friction goes a long way. And I also think um, I I like the idea of double featuring it. It's interesting. I was at COP um, um, a few months ago, and we played a couple episodes um, from from the series. We did episodes three and four, I believe. And one of the um, one of the people in the audience and, and Jen, you know, I I'd, I'd really like to kind of like. You know, if you could, it would it would have been cool to uh, to understand why electricity is so important. And I was like, "Well, have I got a recommendation for you?" Because <laughs> because that's what the movie was, and it was in part that because I was learning throughout that process. You know, I went into our last film very much. I mean, I I'm a Democrat. I lean left. I don't lean the hard left. You know, I, I, I'm probably hard left now. Mm-hmm comparable to where some of the politics are going yeah. but it's all moving targets anyway it's, five it's years you'll place, be a centrist and yes. you know what i mean I, like i have voted democrat i have voted republican is yeah. the easiest way to put it but i was adamantly pro-renewable and you know i i didn't i didn't become a fan of nuclear until we we're a couple months before the edit was done because i had all these amazing lines from michael schellenberger and ben hurd and other folks i'm like well shoot, this is how the film has to end. You know, I got to put something about it. So didn't move to spoil it for anyone that's not yet seen that. But yeah, that was, that was, it was a learning experience for me. That was my own kind of like growth of why is electricity so important? Well, we went around and we found out why. Yeah. I mean, it does a great job of that. So let's talk about the transition from that to this one, right? So right, you finish up that one. Why is electricity so important? I had been talking with Robert, obviously, for a while. He and I became friends, really, after um, Yuri and the blackouts in Texas. And that's where our relationship really grew. But I knew he was, like, spoiling to do something about it. Because, like, every other time I talked to him, I said, I don't have another book in me, but there's, like, another thing I want to do. How did you guys come to the decision, like, okay, we're going to do this second one? And then what types of questions did you want to ask that were different from the first one? Um, well, common question in the first one was, um, what does electricity mean to you? You know, electricity is, is very, very much a big part of it. And so many different things, um, with, with the second one, I remember where the genesis for the idea came from, because we were driving to Lubbock to do a screening in Lubbock and Robert and I are just riding up there and I'm, I'm jonesing to figure out, okay, what's next? What, what's, what's, what's the next thing that's going to happen? And so originally it was slated to be probably more episode three heavy. Like that was more of a theme for, for living. Um, and it was going to be a feature. And then it, it's so just, just, 
spool out what episode three is because I know not everybody's going to have right. seen it yet. So, uh, yeah, so ep- episode three is Green Dreams. And um, it, it, it really harkens back to Robert's um, um, Power Hungry book, you know, the myths of green energy and the real fuels of the future. And that, that's, that's part of what it uh, stemmed from. And so I wanted to do that in part because I, I kind of went through this process where I was adamantly, the maybe not so much, and maybe like, man, what was I thinking? And I was kind of pissed. I mean, I was, I was pissed at myself for, you know, just kind of lapping up all the stuff that was being thrown my mm. way, like, you know, by whomever. Um, and, and I was upset that I, I didn't do my own digging. You know what I mean? I didn't do my own reporting, my own research on anything. And so just kind of like opened my eyes to that. And so I was like, you know what? I really think, I really think we need to do a story that kind of, kind of like pulls back the curtain and shows what the industry is all about and, and what that means for the grid. You know, I think that would be, but, but the grid part wasn't as heavy. More of it was just like, I think there's some bad stuff happening. I think we need to like shine a big ass light on it. Um, but that changed because Winter Storm Era came and, and I, I still remember seeing Robert. I was picked, I was with my wife and we were, we had just bought a house and we're, we went on like a six mile walk on our anniversary and I walked by Robert on the bridge uh, and he was like, Hey. I think it's going to be this. I think this is how we're going to do it. I'm like, that sounds really, really cool. And so it, it, it kind of lit a fire with both of us. He's like, man, you came over. Cause when we lost him, for those that don't know, so Winter Storm Uri, you know, I mean, everyone kind of knows about it, but we lost power for several days. We didn't have water for over a week. I went to Robert's house to get water. Um, Robert actually now has my old generator because we moved it and, and just as like, hey, if this ever happens again, you could have this. And so the state of Texas and the city I live in, I listen, we were pretty hard. And it was when we did the film, I had a line. I, I would always say, you know, um, whenever I did podcasts or interviews, anything, I was like, I think, I think Americans have geographic blinders on. I think we don't realize well the rest of the world lives because we just don't have to. It just doesn't matter. And so you hear these big numbers and they're daunting numbers, a billion people without electricity, two billion less than a refrigerator, it's three billion. That's 10 times the size of the population of the United States of folks walking around in clothes washed by hands. Those numbers just kind of fly by you. So mm-hmm. I thought that what Winter Storm Yuri did, I mean, okay, this is what we were talking about. When people don't have their own grid, they will make their own. And that's what folks are doing. That's what I did. That's what Robert did. And that's what a ton of Texans did. Um, we got a little glimpse of what that inconvenience looks like for, for much of the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, my dad was living in Alpine um, when Yuri happened. And that was the thing that woke me up to the grids because I only knew about nuclear. Right? right. And I was hard in the pain for nuclear for all sorts of reasons. Right. And, you know, after Yuri is how I met Robert and then Meredith. And it's a good one, two punch right there. Yeah. It's a good one, two punch. Right. And that now it's basically my whole career. So let's talk a little bit more about all the different people that you got to talk to. Right. Cause we already named at least one of them, Meredith. Um, sure. What type of story did you want to tell through your selection of people is a question that I always ask myself when I'm watching a documentary, right? It's like, right. why are these the people that got picked? Cause you can always get, it's not that everybody's interchangeable, but everybody brings their own color and brings their own version of the story to it. So what right. were you guys looking for and what did you learn through talking to these people? Um, yeah, I, one, I'm a fan of talking to a lot. I'm, I'm a huge fan of talking to a lot of people, period. Like, you know, when we did our last one, I think we interviewed over 50 people. In this one, we actually interviewed um, just over 60 people. And I think 38 made it into the final cut. Um, and they come from all walks of life. You know, I, we, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be, you know, the folks on, on, uh, on your show are going to be familiar with, you know, Michael Schillenberger is there and hers uh, was there and hers is like, kind of like prophetic as it related to just like Meredith, he had also kind of anticipated uh, certain things happening with the grid. And sure enough, you know, he wrote about it. I can't remember how many years ago and then sure enough, it happened. And so we, we wanted to talk to people that one wanted to talk to, um, were just as curious as we were in some ways. Or, or three had their own unique perspective on what was going on. You know, one of, one of, I'm sure we'll get to the part about what didn't get, make it in, but you know, a part of the industry is, you know, Robert wrote an article, um, uh, I think last year, you know, what's good for 
Generac is bad for Americans. It's something to that extent. We interviewed a gentleman that owns a generator business, uh, you know, out, out near the Bay Area. And business is booming. And it was a really compelling story. And, and that part didn't make its way into it. But it was still, it was a critical part of the puzzle for us to, you know, determine where is this whole thing going to go? And then from there, it was just a matter of how do we make the stories compelling? How do we ensure that people are curious at the end and they want to see what's next? Um, and how do we demystify some of the numbers that are in there? Because I want my 17-year-old son to watch this and understand it. I want my 73-year-old mother to watch this and understand it. I don't want it to just be for energy walks. I want all the wonks to watch. And if they see problems, I want them to tell us about it. Like, sure, great. Let's have a conversation. Let's argue. Let's get red in the face. All that good stuff. But really, I want, I want kids and young adults and adults and anyone that bitched about the power being out, you know, during uh, Winter Storm Uri or any other blackout they've experienced to kind of a, get a better appreciation of why the grid is the way it is and what happened. Well, then that brings me to sort of the question of questions, which was, tell me about one or two of your favorite stories you got to yeah. touch on. Um, so a few favorite stories. Um, the... Hands down, I'd say my favorite is probably the one about the Osage. I mean, it's just for a number of reasons. One, I mean, for anyone that knows Robert, you know he's from Oklahoma. And so Robert is big on his Oklahoma roots. And he was pushing the story for a while. And I and and I and I, I love it. You know, it's 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 a unique look at the longest winding, uh longest running uh, um, uh, legal battle in America over, over wind energy that most people don't know about. It's, it's just not been written about. Um, I wasn't sure how we were going to make it work because originally this was going to be an 80 minute feature. And then when it felt like it, it might kind of do a little, we, we did a little, we did some follow-up interviews. So we did two um, sets of interviews around Oklahoma and that second set was my favorite set. Cause it, it was just me and Robert. I had a DP fall out at the last minute and Robert and I traveled to India. We've traveled the world together, but this was like, oh, old times, man, being you, let's go up to Oklahoma. And it's just such a unique story because it's hard to get your head around how brazen Anel was in, mm. you know, disregarding the Bureau of Indian Affairs, disregarding the tribe, disregarding the mineral rights, you know, disregarding the cease and desist. I mean, everything was there is like, they just mm -hmm. really don't care. And they're just going to bully their way through um, this entire process and put up this giant wind farm that that the tribe doesn't want and that's what happened and to know that you know there's been a little bit of you know come up and say you know that's that's kind of amazing so yeah for 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 those that don't know this is not a spoiler alert because reality no. already happened already um osage win uh nl has to go through and rip uh 84 turbines out on 8400 uh acres of land i believe and we haven't even gotten to the damages yet that's no. a whole other no. trial. That's a whole, that's a whole, and I, have a feeling, I have a feeling Osage is like, get ready. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to be pleasant. I mean, because, you know, I think 84 turbines, their estimated cost to be around $300 million. So that in itself, that's a huge story right there. Um, and then you get a damages, typically damages are like three times, you know, the, the cost of, so I mean, like, you're talking over a billion dollars now, you know, in total. Um, I don't know what'll come out of all that, but. I think it's a great, um, what's a good way to, it, it's a great, great way to encourage folks not to do the same thing to other folks. I, I guess mm -hmm. the easiest That's way of deterrence. Yeah. yeah. Deterrence is the word I was like, where I was like, what is the word? Yeah. It's a, yeah, it is absolutely, uh, I'm great for deterring folks from making poor choices and, and yeah. So, so Osage easily one of my um, favorite stories, but. Some of the others, I mean, the Enron story, which you're well acquainted with, mm -hmm. I knew very little about. And so that I really enjoyed kind of getting into the meat of that and learning more about how both Texas and California embrace this law and policy. And, you know, I live in Texas. Um, there's very much a, you know, you're kind of like, you know, bootstraps for uh, personality. It's, you know, individual worth, all that kind of good stuff, you know, pick yourself up and you can, you can do whatever you want. I was a little surprised that California and Texas, which couldn't be more different politically and, and socially and geographically 
had this one thing in common and it just all goes back to the money in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the Enron story is, you know, I think what people forget because so much of the fraud that happened, I mean, it was mostly thought of as like a financial crime, I think by a lot of people, yep. you know, um, because there's, I mean, so if you read like Enron's and some of their internal documents towards the end, which I have at this point, they don't even know how to talk about themselves as a company. They're like, oh, yeah, what are we exactly? What are we doing? Because they're so big and do so many different yes. things. And some of them are unclear. They're far from their pipeline days. Um, yep. So I think it was hard for the public to even understand what was going on. And remember that this was an energy company, mm -hmm. first and foremost, regardless of everything else. And I thought the doc did a great job of sort of bringing people back to that um, because the way to tell the Enron story where it's just, first of all, they're not Wall Street guys, you know, like to tell the story of them just being greedy Wall Street guys is to completely miss what was actually going on there. And so I thought you guys did a really great job. And I know for Robert, that's sort of like a return to his roots. That's the first book he ever wrote. That's his first book. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, 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 the thing that stuck out to me in, in the story, I was trying to think of the words earlier was, you know, the, the words trust the market. I understand trust the market. I am a capitalist through and through. Um, but the, the funky thing with Enron is when you say trust the market, you're saying trust the very people that built the market, you know, and, and that's just, Right for like how can I how can I best take advantage of this to make a few bucks? And so when you talk when when I hear trust the market, I'm like, yeah, but that's not that's not really a market the way I think of things. I think of a market as like a, you know a free market. Yeah, you kind of built it. You set up all the rules, and you and you have like these ways that it's almost like if you're playing like a video game with pinball machine and you hit the right button and it ding 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 ding, ding. you just made a lot of money. Well, that's what happens when we have bad weather in Texas. So volatility works for, uh, you know, a, a market like that. It works for the people that own the system and, and it messes, messes up, um, things for the consumer. And so that's, that, that's, that's the thing a lot of people didn't understand. I, you know, I still have a hard time getting my head around it, but the, the punchline is like, yeah, you know, bad people figured out a way to line their pockets and they're still doing it to this day. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very true. And I just want to put like a little bit of a bat signal out. I mean, I just want to, talk about this because one of the things this is where you use me talking a little bit in the documentary yes. is the overlap between the environmental movement and uh enron in california so ralph Kavanaugh of the nrdc who became their power markets guy in the 80s testifies before the um oregon public utilities commission or whatever it's called i, I can't remember the exact name for it on enron's behalf so that they can buy up Portland gas and electric, um, which allows them to bid into California. Now I've read some of Ralph Kavanaugh's testimony and he says some very cringy things where he's like, Enron is a company you can trust <laughs> on record. By the way, this yeah. is the first time Kavanaugh ever testified on behalf of anyone at a public utility meeting. But he said he justifies that with something really important. And he intimates that the NRDC has worked with Enron over a series of projects over the last 10 years. He gives that testimony in 96, 97. Enron forms in 86. What I haven't been able to find, so this is the bat signal. If anybody knows, email me at <laughs> emmettbarbarians.com. If you have yes. any of the dirt on what the Natural Resources Defense Council was doing with Enron from the 80s up until then, I think that would be very illuminating for people. Um, yes. It is one of that the harder parts of the story to get to the bottom of, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, excuse me for being a little bit selfish here, Tyson, but I think- No, do so, Have at everyone. That is a wild part of the story, and I'm really glad you guys told it, because I think that that will change a lot of minds, which brings me to my next question, which is, did your mind change at all on anything over the course of this? Um, in ways similar to the first movie or no, or just tell me about that. Um, at the end of the last movie, 
I was, you know, and I'll do this without spoilers and stuff, but at the end of the last movie, I, I was probably very, more so in all above, all of the above, like just do everything, you know? And, and while I understand that philosophy, part of the reason you say that is that you don't want to, you don't want to mess with anyone. I, I'm a big fan of respecting audiences and you got to respect where people are and you want to see where you can find, where you can meet in the middle and all that good stuff. And so I'm, and I do understand, like, I understand I'm an all of the above solution person, but it kind of depends on geography. It depends on your government. It depends on a lot of different things. So while I was more that at the end of the first one, the second one, I mean, if anything, I was just really pumped for nuclear. I mean, I really was. It was, um, you know, I, I went to the latest comp where they announced they want to triple nuclear, you know, by the year um, 2050. And I think that's a great, Yes, that is awesome. I love that that's aspirational. Let's and let's celebrate that. Celebrate the wins because in this industry, you have to, you have to, have to celebrate the wins. You can't just, it's never, you can't, it's never not all enough. You know, let's, let's be happy for a day, a week, a month, whatever. And then maybe we quadruple, quintuple. But, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, it's steps, right? And so, yeah, if there was a, if there was a shift in my thinking, it was probably just more so I was more, um, certain and in my takeaway from the first film that nuclear was, was the source that I was most, you know, in love with, if that makes sense. Um, but, but I don't think I had any seismic changes like I did in the first one, just because I kind of completely changed on, uh, what right. That one was. seems to have been like, you know, a real rough and dirty introduction to the realities of energy. Yeah. And he very much uh, was, and you know, and I learned along the way, and 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 and, and the first movie once again does act as a decent close notes uh, for you know getting your head around all things energy because I was getting my head around all things energy. I'm like, oh, do I understand this? Because if I don't understand it, I can't expect someone else to understand it. And I, I was never the best math student or science student. I know I know my limitations, and so if I can then. You know, Robert's a big fan of saying compared to what, compared to what, compared to what. And so the refrigerator was kind of like that compared to what thing. And that helps me, you know, with our business. One of the things we do is we work for a lot of bigger companies where we'll have to do explainer videos. We're going to have to talk about complex subject matter, but we got to distill it down so people can understand it. And I get that. I got, I get that because, oh, you need, I need to explain it so I can understand it. Well, I can figure out how to do that. And if I can understand it, hopefully other audiences can as well. Yeah, the the refrigerator part is a one of my favorite chapters in the book. Um, uh, a question of power, Bryce's book. Um, yeah, the, my refrigerator versus the world is, I think, the chapter of the book, and then it's obviously a huge part of the documentary. And I absolutely love that because everybody is familiar with that. And that's sort of to bring it to the second series. I think what's sort of amazing about what you guys pulled off is that the grid is just really hard to talk about. And it's hard to narrativize. It is understatement of understatements. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I think anyone, anyone that says, hey, sit down with me and five minutes, you'll understand this. If they say that about the grid, they're lying. I mean, I'm sorry. They just does <laughs> yeah. not work that yeah. way. People are like, what's the like, elevator pitch on the grid? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, like, there isn't we one. better be going to the, the all of 200th floor <laughs> yeah are you going to heaven you know if you're going yeah. to heaven we could do this you know yeah so so it's and, and it's not just that i mean energy politics i mean uh, pilkey was great at this Ener energy politics are incredibly tribal because everyone um um has an opinion on it but beyond that everyone thinks that their opinion is the right opinion you know and so it's it's just a different animal if you deal with anyone that's dealing with absolutes you know, then there's, there's probably a dollar to be made somewhere, 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 someone's making a buck. Um, it, just because if you're like, oh, it has to just be this, well, that's not the way life works, right? You know, diversification is, is, is a thing. And while I may not be a, a fan of uh, wind and solar in certain regards, I think it makes total sense in other regards. I mean, I, I, and I think it, when you start picking winners and losers based on how I feel inside my, my gut or my heart, not versus how engineers, um, you know, um, judge things. I think that's where things become problematic. And I think if there is something that folks should take away from our, our series and even the last film, it's that politicians shouldn't be making decisions about the grid. 
that should be left to engineers. And, and I don't know how we solve that, but, but that's, that's what's happened. You know, you have folks making decisions based on election cycles and the grid is a lot different than an election cycle. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, how, how that shakes out. And also there's just an American anxiety about expertise that I don't think is ever really going to go away. It yeah. seems to be like a permanent, yeah, I, it's been around long enough that Tocqueville writes about it. Yeah. You know, so if, we, if it's been around since like the Jackson administration, it's probably going to hang around for a while longer. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think folks have been saying the elites for a really long time. Yeah. You know, they just said it differently, you know? And so, yeah. Um, but the, the, my, like I said earlier, my hope is that folks watch this and they just have a better appreciation of like all the stuff that Patton went into it. And I can do that real quick. So, uh, and this is not going to be your five minute explanation on what the grid is, mm -hmm. but a little explanation of what the series is. So episode one is Winter Storm Yuri, you know, and, you know, we got blacked out and that because that was kind of like the, the lightning rod for Robert and myself. And then how was the grid originally built? So we got back into Roosevelt, what went into all that. Episode two gets into Enron deregulation and how both Texas and California went this unusual route that, that involved doing something that hadn't been done before. And, and then, you know, what are some of the unforeseen consequences that came about because of that? Episode three, we talked about green dreams that hits on both the Osage as well as, you know, this, this affection for, for renewables. You know, why do we love them? Because it's, you know, it's the wind and it's the sun. And, you know, there's something kind of like, Jessica Lovering talked about it in our first film. She was like, there's just kind of something wholesome. It's like grandma's apple pie, you know? It's like, who yes. doesn't like grandma's apple pie? And then... You know, episode four, nuclear renaissance. It's like, hey, is this legit? Is what's happening legit? And it talks about, you know, Diablo Canyon and Pickering and Byron and Dresden, all the amazing folks that are out there trying to keep plants open and why they're doing it, including yourself. And then industrial cathedrals. And that one's just, that one's just the bomb, man. So thank you. That one talks about, you know, I love when you talk about, hey, everyone says nuclear takes too long and it costs too much. He's like, yeah. Kind of so what, right? You know, it's yeah. like, you know, you know, they're kind of, they say what they're going to do on the tin. They last how long? A hundred years? We don't even know. I mean, that's, folks don't, what lasts a hundred years or more, you know? And so it's like, yeah. and what can do the things that nuclear energy can do? So, so that's what our series does. And hopefully, you know, that'll, that'll help folks out a little bit as they're kind of going through what I went through during our first series and, and, and now this yeah. Well, I mean, thank you guys for featuring the industrial uh, cathedrals idea. Like that was, so I don't want to say it was a toss off idea because I wrote a very serious essay about it, but it was not something I ever expected to catch on. It was like a very personal idea to me that I was like, well, I feel the need to express this. And then it like, mm -hmm. you know, went from there. Um, so what was it like for you to oh, see? Okay. You're, 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 you know, you wrote a paper on it. You've obviously thought about this a lot to then see that, you know, in video form, you know, what, what was it like in, in episodic form? Yeah. I mean, that was, um, well, first of all, it was a little bit surprising because I actually, despite running this podcast, don't talk about nuclear as much as I used to. And that's mostly because I almost spend more time talking about natural gas because yeah. I talk, I write about the grid every single day. Right. So you're going to write about like what's of course what's really yeah. happening and yeah. and uh, not that nuclear isn't happening of course and I think it's also that um, in writing grid brief I've had to restrain the advocate within me so that I can give my readers a fair appraisal of what's going on because I have like investors that read that newsletter yeah. and I'm not being fair to them. Of course, if I'm letting my preferences get too far out ahead of me, you know? Right. Um, so I was, there was a moment of almost like surprising, like joy. Where I was just like, oh yeah, that was cool. Like that would hit the point. You know, I'm still into that. Don't suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, this is cool. And the idea that that would get communicated to a larger suite of people was really, really exciting because I have since taken you know, I use the phrase industrial commons in the interview of the documentary too. And that's something that now that I'm writing my own book on the grid, 
is something I want to be the concluding chapter where I take the industrial cathedrals idea and the industrial commons idea and say, what we have to realize is that industrial modernity is aging now. And so we need a different set of values and tools for thinking about what it means to steward that. So ironically, we almost have to approach it the same way that our hardcore conservationists have approached things like forests. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, and so because this is our patrimony now. Right. But if we don't pass this off, a lot of it's like the Constitution. Everything else sort of falls apart that has made yeah. America America at this point. Um, and so we have to be sensitive to that. And so I think getting people to think in longer time horizons, right? Like what if we have uh, nuclear plants that survive for perhaps hundreds of years, right? Like right. let's say maximum. And so they, we end up having an America where nuclear has been a part of the American Republic for more than it didn't exist. Right. That's kind of cool. Right. That's a very yeah. surprising story to think about, right? Like yeah. What's, yeah. And so that's sort of how I'm starting to think about the grit. So it was sort of nice to see the germs of these ideas yeah. that I've had and that I'm, I've been sort of puzzling over. Because, uh, you know, I've like given a lecture at a university on this idea since, you know, all of this stuff and tried to figure out how these ideas are going to go over. And I think... Um, I think what, what is a win for me personally, as somebody that's in your documentary, is that it gets people out of crisis mode thinking about the grid. I'm very yeah. worried about what's happening to the future of the grid. I write yeah. about that. One of the things I'm really trying to watch myself for is that I don't become the mirror of the climate advocates. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so what does that conversation look like? And how do we have greater prudence and sobriety generally about what it means to have this stuff? So yeah, I think if you, I think I was just going to say, I mean, you know, if you tell everyone the sky is falling, but you tell them that every single day for years and years and years, are they going to believe you? You know, the catastrophism has gotten a bit, a bit out of hand. So I, I definitely appreciate not sensationalizing for the, for the mere sake of sensationalizing. It's like, this is what this means. This is why this happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, I think you guys give a very measured appreciation of what's going on in the grid because it's not the sky is falling and the right. grid is falling apart. It's that, you know, we're, we've, we're on some bad trajectories right now yeah. and you can't, you can't deny that, but that's my W. What's a W for you? If like that you want for the audience after, yeah. after watching it. Cause so you've done the broad level thing of like, people are just more familiar with how to talk about that. Right. But you know, there's always like the feast or famine spectrum of this. And that seems closer to the feminine where it's just like, that's if I get anyone to pay attention to the thing generally, but then there's mm -hmm. always like a lever up from there, you know? So what, tell me what some of the levers up of what you want from people. Yeah. Robert and I have talked about this a bunch. Um, you know, the one, you know, the, the, the main thing, obviously, change the conversation, you know, like mm -hmm. you said, uh, change the conversations or the way people think and talk about energy is different. They have a, a greater appreciation for it. Um, selfishly, you know, if you do it right, you get to do it again. You know, I mean, there are so many stories to be told, you know, and th there are so many stories on the cutting room floor from this series and from our last one you know that that didn't make it out because you, you have to they all have to work together you know and you can always sometimes you're like oh, i really there was this great water purification story from the last one they didn't make it in so we put it on the website it was just amazing mm. but i mean i kept trying to drop it into like minute 35 of the film and it just <laughs> would not work it doesn't it's not gonna go there it's like, oh and by the way there's this really cool thing right here you know it doesn't work that way and so you know Ideally, if if we if we if we do our job and we tell the story in a way that people find entertaining and compelling, and they want you know they want to see that next episode, and hopefully at the end of it they want to see more because there are so many more stories to tell. You know, we I don't know if I'll be able to convince Robert of this after he did the first one. He's like, I did a book and a movie. That was crazy. Why would I do it? I was like, Oh, you want to go do another one? And it took some convincing, and he did it. I don't know if, if that's going to be an easy sell, but to me, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the terawatt challenge. You have to double our electricity supply over the next 20 years or whatever. What's that going to look like? You have the nuclear renaissance. You know, all these plants, okay, what does success look like? It means more plants get saved. Um, uh, uh, SMRs you know, are, are, you know, the, the, it's a very much a buzzword now. Um, you have the coal, uh, it's a nuclear uh, trajectory. Mm-hmm. So you know, a, a win to me, a big win to me is that, yes, we, we saw what you did. We do have a greater appreciation for it. We're going to make decisions and, and please give us more. Let me, let me watch something else about this because mm. I found it entertaining enough that I want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want repeat customers, right? Yeah. Like that's the, well, and, and, I mean, that's part of how the conversation I, changes. I am fascinated with stories that don't turn out the way you thought they were going to. And that's what happened with the series. And that's, I mean, with the, uh, the first film and that kind of what happened here. I mean, the OC story is a very much a big part of that. One, I, I still can't get my head around that, you know, as I said before, just how brazen I know it was. But then seeing where things landed December 20th of last year, and, you know, there was a huge win. A lot of folks didn't see that happening. I mean, they just didn't, you know, the Goliaths, you know, kind of win or they get bailed out. And so seeing, seeing something get flipped on its head, yeah, I think will encourage people to be like, to pause and, and take notice. Well, I mean, uh, you guys also couldn't have picked up better timing for featuring the Osage story Man. in terms of the Scorsese movie coming out, uh, which was one of the best films of the last year, probably one of his best mm-hmm. films in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to see how people respond to that one because it is, uh, I mean, it's impossible not to cheer for them. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, yeah, we interviewed... You know, uh, Tommy Daniels, the oldest full-blood Osage, one of like six uh, remaining uh, uh, full-bloods. And so it's, there's, there are a lot of layers to our series. And I think folks will be pretty content, you know, tucking in in any one of those layers. But the Osage, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably your favorite story. I mean, we haven't talked about it. We went to Fukushima, you know, you know, you talk about sobering. Robert's been a natural gas and nuclear guy for 15 years longer. And I remember meeting him immediately after, you know, because he was able to go to the tower, kind of like look over um, the wreckage and everything in the rebuild. I, I didn't, I went to Fukushima Daiichi and shot some footage. And so afterwards, I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, Culver, I can tell you, sobering. He's like, you know, it's, it's the task will not be easy. I was like, are you still pro nuclear? Of course I am. Yeah, I'm pro nuclear, but I mean, it's, it's none of this is going to be simple, fast, or cheap. I mean, we just need to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's no, the, I, that's th- the I, I think that's absolutely true. So, speaking of, of stories, you know, we've already mentioned talk with this generator guy or whatever. Tell me about some, some gems that got left on the cutting room floor here a little bit. Is there anything that you wish, like the water purification thing that you could have gotten in that just didn't fit the narrative? Is there anything you're like, like I'm still curious about that. Oh, man. Um, I need I need to I, I do need to like log like three or four of these so I can keep them on uh, uh, instant recall because I don't have any major ones. I can tell you the biggest thing. Well, okay. So we said earlier this was originally going to be an eight a minute feature. You know the the way we do you know little you know filmmaking one hundred and one for us the way we do we do this on the last um, project. We would go to a location, we'd come back, I'd hand it off to my editor, he'd put together assembly cut. Go to another location, hand off to my editor, he'd put together assembly cut. Um, we didn't quite have that luxury on this one because we were figuring it out along the way. There were parts that we really, really knew, but other parts we didn't. And so that's not how this one was tackled. And so the, a lot of the assemblies happened after all the travel was done. And so there was just like reliving things from a year ago or a year and a half ago, like really kind of get back into the story. So when we built that first cut, it was 140 minutes. Um, it was Ooh. just friggin' heavy. I mean, and I was lost throughout it. And we had two editors working on the project, uh, Temp Powers uh, and and Lauren Sanders. And and we and both of our editors, um, they had different strengths. Um, and so that was they had different things that they leaned into, which was great. But seeing that long cut and then figuring out, man. We're going to have to get rid of a lot of this if anyone's going to watch this thing and then turning it into a series. 
I think it meant we actually got to touch on more stories because we could do like little brief stories in like little windows as opposed to having like, oh, okay, we need to, we need this beat of the film to be eight minutes long. How are we going to satisfy that? But they're trying to go back through. Went to Greece. I mm. have amazing footage of the Parthenon and Acropolis, drones all over the place and really good interviews. Greece didn't make it in the cut. Went to England and got a couple really amazing interviews with some folks and their stories make a ton of sense. Still quite didn't make it into here because the way we tackled the Ukraine story and energy security in episode five didn't really lend itself to that. And so we have, we have some, went to, went to Egypt, got a bunch of interviews uh, at COP27 and I think we have a shot of Paris in, in those, those, uh, those shots. And so, yeah, I will tell you the, the interview I was saddest about not getting, uh, was Paris or she's wise because, oh, yeah. um, cause I, I love her work and yeah, she's uh, great. I think she, and she has just an amazing voice. I love what she's done, but also, um, I was slated to interview her last year, um, during South by Southwest and I got COVID and so uh, I couldn't. And this is that we're like in the kind of I'm like, okay, well, Paris, I'll see you on the next one. And I told her this, that as well because I mean, because she, I mean, her take her take on on all things nuclear is just spectacular. But I also love where she comes at it from, native California, mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, there are so yeah. many stories to be told. So many. You know, there are there are, and there's more to be told. No, I um, yeah, Paris is amazing. You know, I. I really admire her and everything she's done. I I met her when I was working for Michael and, yeah. um, you know, just watching her come into her power has been this amazing, mm-hmm. you know, thing to see as a fellow nuclear advocate. So I do hope that happens. Tell me about COP a little bit. Um, sure. To, because, what do you want now? well, that's a good question because I still don't get cop in okay. some fundamental way so like okay. just you were there to screen part of the movie and to get some interviews right that's my understanding of, of why so, you were there so i went to two of them i went to cop 27 in egypt and that was at the tail end of kind of like a year but we got some got some interviews in england went to greece went to mm-hmm. cop which actually led to my scariest story here because i inadvertently brought a drone to egypt which you don't want to do um, and Ooh. then I went back to England and, and, um, got another interview and back to the States. Um, at that one, we were screening, um, our first film. And for us, it was, uh, you know, there, the, the IEA wanted to screen it, Adams for Nuclear had a great screening, great Q and A, all that kind of good stuff. And that was, that was me kind of at my worst. Cause it was at the end of the production cycle, you know, but we've just been shooting yeah. so much. You've been grinding. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. I'm like, like really long days, lots of hours, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so I didn't get a, a, a true, true handle on it, but I spent a lot of time with Kiefer and, um, and some of the other, um, you know, nuclear young generation folks and, 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 and I learned that it was weird. I didn't expect nuclear to kind of like at COP27, it felt like almost like a bastard stepchild, but like nuclear wasn't really something that was considered by most folks. I mean, there were a lot, I mean, everywhere you went, it was like, and we're going to be clean and green and renewable. And this is how we're going to do it. It's the best for the poorest among us and all this other stuff. And I just kept in my head, I was like, these are not the stories I've heard when, when I've gone to countries when they're talking about what they want their energy next to me. Um, latest cop cup 28, we have um, screened through the episodes, didn't have any interviews there. That was strictly to get the word out about the series. Well, they had an entire, like, separate nuclear um, um, thing, you know, that went on for days, and it was spectacular. And I did not ever imagine, like, I never imagined, I can't remember, it was one of one of the highnesses, so, it was for Royal Highness, I don't remember which one it was, but he was talking about Morocco. And while he was talking about it, he's like, Folks probably don't know this, but over 20% of the workforce is made up of women. My wife, and I brought my wife, Deanna, um, to the thing. And, you know, I think, you know, us in the States will probably have our own views as to, oh, it's Middle East. And we put them all into one bucket. I didn't realize that Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, and 
UAE have very different standards on all this stuff. I never envisioned the, you know, the one of the main uh, employees from Baraka, there's the uh, head of uh, um, um, women in nuclear uh, in that area. He called her out. She stood up. It was just, it was a total mind shift from what I'd seen at the previous one. And then the announcement was made that we're going to triple nuclear by 2050. Oh, and these countries are getting on board too. Cause, so that was, that was pretty remarkable. I, um, I like the idea mm. of countries getting together to figure out how can we move forward together. But I think it's probably not unlike getting, I don't know. That's inappropriate. So I'm not going to shit up. It's probably not unlike. <laughs> yeah, don't know what you were going to say, but good save, yeah. Culver. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not unlike being in Austin on 6th Street at 1 a.m. And you're with a bunch of friends and you're trying to figure out where to go next and you can't decide on it. That's yeah. how I feel those conversations go. Mm-hmm. I am incredibly appreciative of being fortunate enough to go to COP27. Sure, and, yeah. and I think that, you know what? I hate, it's a strong word. I don't understand um, ridiculing um, um, folks that don't agree with you because you're never going to win them over. But I do understand folks pontificating on the absurdity of some of the things that go on at COP because it does feel like it's a whole bunch of pop and circumstance or what doesn't feel like a, a lot at the end of the day. But you know what? That changed next year because they made a huge announcement about nuclear that I never anticipated. So Yeah, that is true. Well, it's on copper changing. Yeah. Well, I talked to Mark Nelson a little bit about it after after he went and he said one of the biggest things that seemed to have changed is that there were real deal energy people and engineers there. And mm-hmm. all of the people that had just been doing climatology and renewables boosters and were like, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. You know, what do we do with people that understand how energy works? Yeah. What's, uh, what's going on? What is this about? Yeah. So I think, yeah. you know, I think that's good. You know, I, um, I see, I seem to go back and forth. Like what frustrates me at this point is the way in which these big green groups have this international footprint and the way that they can just sway things. So we're talking right after Biden has just decided to hit pause on a bunch of LNG facilities in Louisiana, in the Gulf of Mexico, seemingly because some climate advocates called the White House and were like, hey, we don't like that. And that's insane to me, like that level of power, you know, like that. I'm very like if you wanted to have like if there were a spell that could instantly turn me into Pat Buchanan, it's that. And the phrase global democracy, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't, I don't. that's not to say that I agree with, with Mr. Buchanan. Right. But I understand that. Yes. That you get what the flavors are coming across. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think a, a lot of when it comes, when it comes to just in general, there's, there's this belief that we can just fossil fuels out of the equation and we're just and renewables are just going to run it because we built up all these renewables and we're just going to go and it just doesn't work that way unfortunately and to me it's it's like if my six-year-old daughter were playing with she has this really cute unicorn toy um that's robotic and it takes two batteries and it's like she played with it until it was done and then i put in two more batteries and and I'm like, okay, I mean, you can you can uh, keep on playing with this until it's done, and then we're going to go to we're going to go to some other form of power, and you're just going to play with it as just you know, if the power's on, you're going to play with it. If you don't, I don't know. It's, I'm I'm butchering the analogy, but to me, it's like you don't you don't take away power sources unless you have equal or above power sources to replace them. You just you just don't do that, and so I don't quite I don't get the thinking behind it yeah yeah exactly so and and that's all to say you know at the same time one of the things that i've uh started to realize is that you're right about maybe even the need for a level of pomp and circumstance yep for politics to work and that's just a reality and who actually brought me to that was reading the founding father john adams (laughs) 
you know, and everybody dunks on him for saying we should have formal titles for the president, right. whatever. Right. Really, right. what he was trying to do was a to elevate the esteem of America in the world. And at the time, yeah. it would have been weird to have a head of state that wasn't yes, your royal highness, the president of the United States of America, or of whatever. Um, yeah. But he understood that if you wanted to draw some of the best and most ambitious into service, you would want to be able, you want opportunities for them to win laurels. Of course. Well, I mean, big case in point, you know, why did I go to cop? You know, one, we thought there were some stories that we can get there, but the other part of it is, you know, going back to the investors from our previous film and the donors on this series telling them, yeah, we, we screened a couple of our episodes at cop. Like that's, that's a statement. That's yeah. Not a lot of us can say that. Yeah. No, it's meaningful. Well, and you have the right type of eyeballs there. Whether anybody likes it or not. Yeah. This is maybe my controversial point here. So we talked earlier about how, you know, engineers should have a greater amount of license um, over how the system operates than our political class. The truth of the matter is when you're dealing with things like the grid that have this level of sophistication, it creates hierarchies on epistemics alone. The hierarchies of knowledge that it takes to run, maintain, and make informed decisions yeah. about these things are difficult in a democratic setting. Yeah. And COP is an elite project. If you yes. want to change minds about how some of this works, you have to go talk to people who are those elites and get their yes. eyeballs on it. Yes. As an American, that makes me feel all sorts of uncomfortable and I don't like that. But, yeah. you know, the world isn't about what you like. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I, um, you say, in a, the, like, people can't see your face, but you sit with the most pained look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. Yes, that is, that is. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, but okay. So let's, let's bring it back to the film though, just real quickly for sure. just one last little moment. And this is going to be my final comment on it in light of the uh, uncomfortable thing we just agreed to. <laughs> okay, cool. Is that there is still the check of the people, right? That still exists in this country and that's important, yeah. you know? And so for everyday people, to have a more elevated appreciation of this makes it easier to ameliorate that hierarchy. Well, I mean, I think part of it is like, okay, I'm pissed. Mm -hmm. Why am I pissed? Who do I need to be pissed at? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do about it? You know, why are my electricity bills more expensive? You know, I live in California. They're this much more than they were 10 years ago. Why are they so damn expensive? What's causing this? You know, it's like a lot of it is, you know, it's, it shouldn't just be rinse and repeat life stuff. It's like, let's take a deeper level of understanding of what's going on and find out, find out the why, right? You know, and so hopefully that's what, what our series will allow some folks to do because I learned a lot once again. I mean, I always do. And it, it's, there, there are a lot of decisions being made. I mean, I think you're lying. There are a lot of people being impacted by this that had no uh, input whatsoever on, on the decision-making process. And that, and that, and that, and you were talking about Europe at the time, but it's the same for the States. It's the same for most of the world. And yeah. so I think having an understanding of, of the why behind it all is, is incredibly helpful. Yeah, I think so too. And I hope, I hope it's a smashing success for you guys. So everybody, you can find the link to it in the show notes. It's on YouTube. Share it with all your friends. It's uh, juicetheseries.com. Juicetheseries.com. So there you go. We'll, we'll no, absolutely. And you can find the first movie in the show notes. I'll have the link to that there. So that if you want to do the double feature, which I highly recommend, uh, a crackling Saturday night um, endeavor, uh, you can do that. And that being said, Tyson, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I mean, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, buddy. All right, everybody, remember, stay sharp, stay strong, and stay radiant. We will see you next time.